the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, Great to be with you. A lot happening. In a few moments, we'll talk with Avita Duffy, Avita Duffy uh, of thefederalist.com. Young, outgoing journalist, uh, very interesting to see and watch. She's a um, good writer. Um, that's uh, what she does. But she also is over on social media doing videos and things, very photogenic uh, and conservative. So a really interesting woman. We'll talk with her. And I also have an update on uh, Tucker Carlson, the Tucker Carlson book, uh, which is out, um, I don't know, this week maybe. Um, and uh, it is uh, really interesting. Uh, the guy who is... Um, uh, undertaking it is someone who was hired by Tucker to do a lot uh, to uh, do this book, Chadwick Moore. Um, and Chadwick Moore was um, hired way before any of the scandal. In fact, about a year and a half ago, I think I have to look at it again. I looked at it. He talks about it in the introduction to the book. So he predated all of the excitement of Tucker Carlson leaving. So he's got a perspective on that um, uh, in the in the brief introduction. Uh, but also he had sort of unfettered access. So you get a sense of of uh, Tucker Carlson. And it's interesting. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But first, what you need to know today is, uh, well, here we here comes the Trump indictment earlier on Tuesday. Donald Trump announced uh, through his web, uh, his social media truth. He said there is he got a letter from the federal prosecutor, Jack Smith, that said he should report to the grand jury within a few days, four days, because he is um, the January 6th grand jury. Now, I don't really know what that means. It may become clear uh, over the course of uh, of the day and then hours, because usually you are um, you are told you're a target and then you're told to report for arraignment. You don't have to go before the grand jury. I, I don't know whether he's subpoenaed and they won't subpoena a target before a grand jury. They usually don't do that. So I don't quite know what to make of that. I don't quite know what to make of that uh, situation. Uh, but here's what we know. Here's what you need to know. Here's today's wink. The indictment of Donald Trump for January 6th is the culmination of the narrative machine. And I've been telling you for years now, the narrative machine is big government, big tech and big media. And when they work together, they can they can actually tell a story, a narrative, and it becomes for most people what they know. What they hear. So the the, the, tr- the progression, as I've said to you before, is what you hear, what you hear and see becomes what you know, and it shapes what you do and then how you relate to things. So the narrative machine in this case, in this country, big tech, big media and big government working together to push a narrative. And they did it on the Russia hoax. And they and they sort of got beat on that, because when they finally got the truth out of the Russia hoax, people said, oh, well, that wasn't true. But they sort of won. I mean, for a, for a third of the country, they still believe the Russia hoax. Another third of the country still believes something happened. And the other third is was probably never going to believe any of it. But it was effective, is my point. And so was the COVID stuff. 
Many of the disinformation, the lies that Fauci says he had to tell in order to protect us and the misinformation and the misdirection and the things that they did. You know, you weren't allowed to call it a Wuhan virus. And and oh, and even then down, of course, the narrative machine very potently knocked down the Biden laptop in a way that, you know, had to have had some effect on the election. Was it dispositive by itself? I don't know. But it certainly had an impact. Right. Well, it's all built to this. The narrative machine has since January of 2021 been talking about what was a First Amendment protest, which included some bad actors. By the way, it included some bad decision making by law enforcement, but it included some bad actors. There's no doubt about that. But they turned that into from a First Amendment protest into a domestic terrorism, into armed insurrection, et cetera, et cetera. And if you watch the narrative machine, big government, usually big government is a couple of loudmouths, Schiff, you know, Swalwell, or a couple of uh, of residual big government people like uh, like um, uh, Clapper or Brennan. In the case of January 6th, because of the change in the leadership in the House, they created a big government tool, an apparatus, a wing. They didn't have to rely on just Schiff or just Brennan or just Clapper. They could have a total set machine, the select committee of Liz Cheney and Benny Thompson. And they could lie about the American people. They could lie to the American people about what happened. The best example was the use of video to try to damage Congressman Barry Loudermilk. And they said he gave a tour, reconnaissance tour the night before when everybody that knows anything knows he gives lots of tours. He kind of loves to give a historic tour. And it, it was the furthest thing from reconnaissance. But they lied about it. And they did it by cutting and pasting the videos, presenting in such a way, and then backing off. The select committee had all sorts of people that they tried to drag before it. And then they selectively leaked aspects of their testimony. So big government in the narrative of January 6th was very, very effective. and. They used the DOJ to indict people selectively and in a targeted way to further the narrative. The narrative had to be insurrection, conspiracy, obstruction, all that kind of stuff. And they put it together piece by piece. And again, what you would count on in different times is some portion of the effective media to push back, but they couldn't. You know, Fox News sort of did and then maybe got waylaid when tucker got pushed out and some of the social media did but not with enough oomph i mean the only wild card in the narrative machine is actually musk and twitter and i think it's probably too late and too uh and too i'd say too small but i don't know if it can swing the thing but so the narrative machine big government in full flow selective prosecutions selective leaking selective use of of video then you have the select committee the january 6th select committee similarly said big government in full flow and big media and big tech right along for the ride right along for the ride not taking it to pieces not breaking it down not getting to the bottom of it there are tens of thousands of hours of January 6th video that people could review and find out who are the bad actors, who are. I mean, it, it's a lot of it's available out there. If people wanted to, if big tech wanted to allow it, if, if, if the media wanted to do it, they could get to the bottom of how many agents, how many federal agents were there. It's not just Ray Epps, who clearly was agitating and nobody knows why he wasn't charged, but lots of other people. But nobody's getting to the bottom of it. Nobody's bothering. 
And the narrative machine continues and it tells stories about details in ways that fit the narrative. And it's working. It's working. When they announce all the charges for against Donald Trump, it will sound to regular voters like they're hearing something that fits together pieces. And the reason why is because they've been lying about it. And so they'll say, oh, well, look at this. There was a meeting on December 18th in the Oval Office, and it was these many people, and they were talking about this. This was part of the conspiracy to do whatever, except everything that the people suggested in that meeting, nobody did. Trump rejected it. Even the things that they said at the time, people were like, well, we thought that they might do this. We thought Trump had agreed to do that. By the next day, he didn't do it. But it doesn't matter. The puzzle pieces have been laid out in such a way that the narrative machine will hammer them home and they will happily do it. They will happily do it. And I I guess my biggest takeaway, what you need to know is how troubling this should be. That's true. But what is the impact? If it's true, if it becomes the reality that this effort can knock out a presidential candidate, and I I don't know, I, I feel like there's a pretty good chance that you can say this that the election fortification of the left during 2020 swung the election. And therefore, you wonder who and what is at the heart of 2020. Will we ever get to the bottom of it? So maybe they took him out by fortifying the election. I can't prove that it was illegal, but I can certainly say the fortification of the Democrats was profound and significant. And then they did, then they did this whole thing to make sure to stop him. It's striking. Now, I will tell you one more coincidence. I'm glad people are talking about it. I saw it early on Tuesday. It's not a coincidence. It's a timing thing. Last week when I was up on Capitol Hill, I went to see some of the folks at Ways and Means. Jason Smith, the chairman there, is a friend of mine. And so I know some of the staff and I know those guys and they're really good guys. And so I went to check in and to say, hey, uh, what's going on? And one of the guys said, not very obliquely, not with any specifics. He said, next week, Ed, this is last week, he said, next week, there's going to be a lot. The whistleblower's got more stuff that's going to come out. He said it's stuff that's going to, it's nothing classified or anything. He couldn't tell me, but he wasn't telling me the specifics. But the fact is, he said, hey, this is going to be a big week, a really big week. And and when he said it to me, one of the other guys sort of rolled his eyes or looked up at the ceiling and said, it's it's worse than people realize. And by that, he meant the corruption, the corruption. So that's what was supposed to happen this week. And here we are. Right here we are with these with this uh uh whatever you call it this um letter of uh this letter of of interest or however you say it so we'll see so what you need to know is the mar- narrative machine is at its strongest and we'll see if it breaks this country that feels like that's what's at stake we'll take a break ourselves and come right back with Evita Duffy right back in a moment Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report talk to you in a minute. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our guest, uh, she's been with us. It's been a, a few weeks, uh, excuse me, a few months now, is Avita Duffy. Avita Duffy writes over at thefederalist.com. Uh, uh, she's also, uh, I would say, a commentator. You, you may see her commenting in different places. Welcome back, Avita. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me. Uh, before I get to a question, I want to ask you about the White House and your observations about this White House. I wanted to ask you, as one of the younger up and coming journalists who's both a writer and has, does these radio shows and things, which is the, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm prejudicial towards writers, uh, because of my, uh, my late boss, uh, Phyllis Schlafly. So I like seeing that. But how do you find, um, Avita, the social media, 
movement. In other words, a lot of young people are on Instagram and Snapchat and all that. A lot of the political people are on Twitter all the time. There's this threads that happen. Is it is it as unsettled as it seems in terms of communicating or is it sort of a a, a through line where you just got to have you know good insights and good thoughts and explain them well? How, how are you finding that part of it professionally? Of, of just being a journalist in, in, the, in the age of social media. Is exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I think there's two things, right? I, first of all, kids aren't reading anymore. So that's a big problem for, for <laughs> right. my job. Right. And, right. and they're, they're mostly watching TikTok videos. They're mostly watching Instagram reels or YouTube shorts. Um, and that's where they're getting their information from. There's a lot of interesting studies about kids who think they're informed, who say that their primary source is TikTok, which is super concerning. Um, so there's that. But I'll also say that there's a lot of opportunities for for journalists to supplement the problems of social media and actually use it to our advantage. Um, at The Federalist, I do a lot of, of videos. So I'll write an article and I'll get all my thoughts out where, you know, a Gen mm-hmm. Xer and a boomer might be reading. And then I'll disseminate that in a video to younger generations. So there's ways that journalists can still stay in the conversation, make sure that they're they're their their thoughts and also the news is being heard um but in in a way that is actually palatable to these younger generations and it's a really unfortunate thing but the reality is this really is a dying industry because the news is completely um video oriented yeah it's interesting how uh, how fast you have to move to do it but and the other problem is i don't think the the business model has adjusted so you see people that have like act like an idiot and have a million followers and they can make money on youtube and then if you're actually making substantive comments and you get uh, you know a, a few thousand people you may not make enough money that's the sort of thing is not catching up uh Evita duffy's our guest over at the federalist.com uh another question about that same thing is our attention span you know it's a week ago it's not longer a week ago that the White House was, I don't know if it was engulfed, but we knew the story of cocaine found there, what happened, and it's just gone. I mean, these things go so fast uh, through the cycle. Um, that's another part of the social media reality, right? Absolutely. And they and they do that on purpose, right? They stonewall the, the White House and and also the Secret Service stonewalled the American people and said, well, well, we're investigating it. We don't have any information. And then they said, oh, we probably will never find out who it is. And they do that so that we'll eventually stop asking questions and just forget about it. Um, th- there's also some really just brazen um, arrogance, I think, with this whole story, because you had the journalists in the White House uh, press conference asking legitimate questions. You know, did this belong to a Biden family member? Did this belong to Hunter Biden, who has a serious drug addiction history and appears to be living in the White House? And and the press secretary laughed at them and said, I can't believe that you would even suggest that. It's ridiculous. And they do that because they don't want us to believe our own eyes. Literally, if, if we use it, logical reasoning, who in the White House, who seems to be living there, has a cocaine problem? Well, obviously, right. that's Hunter Biden. Um, and they and they want us to just sort of think that what what is the most logical explanation is is somehow illogical. And they do that with everything, right? They do it with, with the transgender movement. They do that with, with literally every single uh, story that comes out where we're like, I can't believe this is happening. And they try to stonewall us into believing it. Actually, you're the crazy one for suggesting or saying the quiet part out loud. 
Does this, did that story though, Avita Duffy, did it get out enough? We're talking again with Avita Duffy from over at thefederalist.com. Did it, in a way, did it get out? I mean, it's an easy one to understand on TikTok or somewhere. You know, somebody had cocaine in the White House. It's kind of like roll your eyes and be like, I'm not, I'm not, but what I mean is it didn't matter in a way. I mean, we're not getting to the bottom of it for the truth, but it got out there, right? Yeah. So I, well, I, I'd say it got out there, um, in all the all the media outlets covered it right Right. like i don't like the way that the corporate media covered the story right they basically sided with the white house the entire time but um at least they covered it (laughs) right they should be covering it still but they're but you know at least they did it the first time i think um is it are there viral instagram and tiktoks about this this story no no um and and that's just that's just you know the reality of of young people and things being important to them um that you know we, we you would think that this would be a big story right but they you know they they tend to gravitate more toward other social issues um waving off anything that has to do with the biden administration because they have been told by um the media but also just by influencers on on social media that this is just uh all the republicans are constantly lying about the biden administration and so they just um right, know, right. ignore this story right pile on avita duffy's our guest you know the, the other part of this though is of course if you if you if the truth is someone had a big bunch of cocaine at the white house no one knows who it is and then they stonewall that that is actually a big deal to people 50 and older they they actually look up and go that's a workplace and a home place that's out of control so in that's and they're they're voters by a higher percentage so in that sense it really is by holding it back well and i hate to do this but does does your read on these facts mean that the secret service is sort of just as problematic i mean i know their job is to protect it's not necessarily to be the 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 you know a media but it feels like they really um hid this one the the secret service did well, I, yeah, I, I think they did. I'm going to give you. So I, I I don't know if you've been following the the Biden bribery scandal, but when the IRS whistleblowers um, came out last month or a few weeks ago and and said that, you know, this the DOJ has been stonewalling our investigation the whole time. One of the things that they said was that they were going to do a day of action where they were going to approach Hunter Biden about um, the millions of dollars that he had, you know, not, not, uh, not, not given in his taxes. Right. right and then right. also um, they were going to interview a bunch of key individuals who were related to this potential Biden, uh, Biden IRS scandal. Right. And when they did that, the DOJ tipped off the secret service before their day of actions that then it ended up thwarting the whole thing. And then the secret service then protected the Biden administration by making sure Hunter wasn't available to be approached for this day of action. So the, the secret service is close to the president. That's, that's sort of their job. The president gets to pick who he has closest to him. And so to think that this is going to be a nonpartisan secret service, I think is, is not backed up by the facts. Well, and I guess the, the, on one level, you expect that probably every president has some relationship at the highest level. On the other hand, it's there's a point here where now we have a track record of the of federal law enforcement, you know, putting their thumb on the scale to to cover up for it. Again, I don't know if any of us care if the first family has uh, somebody in their family with a drug problem. There's a lot of families that suffer. The question, the much bigger question, which is the smoking gun, is the relationship between foreign and domestic powers that have money and influence with the biden's in terms of cash in terms of money and i guess uh, that's another part of this you know that they're trying to cut off any of the conversation do you think avita i've said this before on the show again avita duffy's our guest do you think that any white house 
will be able to escape real transparency and scrutiny in the future, meaning it's not it's not like I remember a, a voter told me once that he was so interested in 2010 about where he could look on the Internet and see the votes. And he said some joke like my congressman, Dick Gephardt, he used to vote. And then I'd find out two months later how he voted. And so transparency, is, it's like speeding up. And the White House, you really can't hide from this incompetence. Is that is that the future, too? Well, I think it's a it's nobody believes that they can't actually find out who this person was with the right. cocaine. Right. right, right they right. have they have, uh, you know, a, a giant surveillance system. It's they're supposedly supposed to be one of the most secure places in the country to protect the safety of the president. And yet they can't backtrack on that security footage and just see who left the bag of cocaine. Um, and and th- this is this lack of accountability. You're right, is not backed up with this hyper accountability age that we live in because of because of the internet because of technology um and 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 i i I think it's actually baffling when you think about it um we live in this technological age and yet this administration is still getting away with um not being not being held accountable yeah it is amazing to see well uh avita duffy thank you for both uh, uh coming on the show and writing on this and then getting out there into the into the uh, uh all of the different uh social media categories to try to communicate it's important stuff and an interesting time thanks avita Thanks so much. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll come right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I'll put a link up to her social media also. And be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. My friend, Cheryl Chumley, who has been on the show a number of times now and actually had me on her podcast, which I enjoyed maybe even more because we just went wherever we went and I didn't have to limit it to 10 minutes or so. Her podcast is called Bold and Blunt. If you go over to WashingtonTimes.com, you can find all of her podcasts as well as sign up for a newsletter. I think three times a week. It covers her two podcasts a week as well as her writing. She is the uh, online opinion editor editor and a commentary writer over at Washington Times. So welcome back, Cheryl. How are you? I am great. It's always great to be with you, Ed. Thanks oh, for having me. You're nice to say. So thank you. Uh, we have a good time together, you and I talking. So <laughs> um, Cheryl, I was looking at your podcast. I was going back looking at him and I saw the one and then listened to it. Uh, Tucker Carlson and the misleading media. Here's where I want to go with this and ask you. You Now, your job, you're an online opinion editor. So you're getting lots of submissions, lots of writers. You yourself are a writer. You've written, uh, I don't know, three or four books, um, uh, and especially on socialism. The lockdown, the socialist plan to take away your freedom is one of the more recent ones. So, so you, and then it Washington Times and, and a podcast, you've seen communicators. You've probably seen Tucker Carlson for 25 years because he's kind of worked his way up as a communicator. But so the misleading media, is it worse now or did we not know what's changed about how bad it feels? It's worse now. And I come at this opinion from, you know, 25, almost 30 years in media, uh, some of the years off and on, but a full two plus decades in media. And I've seen over the years how my fellow journalists have gone from just being unwittingly biased, right? And then you could approach them and say, Hey, how about representing this side? And they would, they would agree and they would actually do their due diligence to represent all sides fairly to a point where they don't even care. It's just all about activist journalism. Take down as many Republicans, as many MAGA types Republicans as possible. 
It's uh, so it, when you say it's gotten worse, um, do you think that it was misleading in the past and we didn't know? In other words, uh, you know, or maybe it wasn't as I guess it wasn't as extreme as what you're saying. There's something about the extremism. And then again, a different way to say that. I mean, Cheryl Chumley is our guest. You've been you've been around communicators for decades and decades and you've been around politicians and elected officials. Donald Trump is not even the like the 10th most conservative politician. And yet they they call him Hitler and they make it stick. And that becomes the reason, I think, to be so crazed. Yeah, the the anti-Trump, the Trump derangement syndrome is amazing to me because, as you point out, he's not even the most conservative guy in the room. Yeah, he, he, he just really has hit hard at the deep state uh, globalism that has infiltrated our country. And I think that's why the hysteria over him, because he nailed the enemy uh, basically to the wall during his four years. He, he got us out of so much of this globalism, and he is promising now with his second White House administration to do more of the same. So it's not just the Democrat Party who can't stand him. It's many in the Republican Party who who, you know, Ed, are rhinos, are more for China and the globalists than they are for America. And uh, I think that's why the vicious hatred of Donald Trump. We're talking with Cheryl Chumley. Uh, she's the host of Bold and Blunt, her podcast, which is great. It's over at WashingtonTimes.com. She's the online editor, uh, opinion editor, and she writes her own commentaries. And you can sign up on their website for her uh, email newsletter, which gives you all those uh, updates on that. So Tucker Carlson. Did did he get caught in in I mean he he basically got fired for I mean ostensibly it was a Dominion lawsuit but he sort of got fired for flying too close to the sun right yeah, he did. And, you know, there were several times where I have watched. I, I was never a regular watcher of Tucker Carlson because I usually went to bed pretty early, to be <laughs> honest. But right. I get up so early. But, uh, you know, of course, I've watched his show. And there, there were there were shows I watched that I was surprised that he would say something like that against his bosses or, uh, you know, just come out indirectly even and, and make little digs against some that he worked with. And I don't think that's the reason he was let go or exited or uh, we still don't know, right? The facts of why he left. But I I do think that all played into it. And ultimately, the Dominion lawsuit, right, gave Fox the justification it needed to get rid of him. So, Cheryl, where does it end up? I mean, you know, the the Washington Times has been um, stalwart for decades as a sort of counterweight in Washington to the Washington Post, more conservative, especially on the opinion page. Others have come and gone. You know, you have this sort of DC examiner pops up and it's around. You got different things around. Um, but, you know, Fox News changed a lot. And really, Fox News is the only I, I mean, again, Newsmax and One America News are trying. Right. But they're not on the scope where does the if it's true that the media is worse and they're misleading more than ever where do you think it ends up what's the future well i hope it makes watchers of media and listeners and readers of media do their due diligence more because that's how founding fathers would envision it right an educated citizenry and you can't be educated just by watching fox news or just by watching tucker uh, right. when he was on fox news you have to you have to read and listen to more than one source and the truth is somewhere in between right because conservatives aren't saints either 
So we need to put liberty first and come at our news as if we're seeking the truth that is pro-liberty in America, not pro-conservative versus uh, pro-Democrat and so forth. Uh, Cheryl Chumley is our guest. Uh, her podcast, Bold and Blunt, uh, really worth uh, listening to and checking out. Um, I, uh, one last line of of questions I want to ask you, because, again, you know, persuasion and how because um, it's opinion editing you do and writing, you do commentary. It's not news only uh, or not, it's not news that you're doing. You're having an opinion. So you're trying to persuade people to understand what you're saying. Um Cheryl, if they indict Donald Trump again for, uh, I don't know, January 6th, something in D.C. and then down in uh, Georgia for indictments, I, I mean, it, it, oh, at a certain point, the general public, they, they do associate <laughs> who you are with what's happened, even if it's totally unfair. And at a certain point, it, it should matter, um, you know, and it, and it should be really detrimental. It doesn't seem to be working, at least in the primary yet, but I, it feels to me, I worry more about it than people real, I think realize that it, it, it's likely to have the effect that they want. They may want to take the president, President Trump out of the race completely, but it may have the effect that they need a, you know, death by a thousand cuts. I see what you're saying. And I know that that is one of the most talked about discussions when you're deciding which Republican going forward in the primary season to support. But look, I just don't see that Donald Trump, no matter how many indictments and <laughs> how many darts that they throw against him, first off, him him abandoning Chip, but second off, those who are already in his camp abandoning him. I see that he's going to get more and more energized as this election season goes on and his followers, his fan base, and those sick of Joe Biden, those sick of seeing the attacks against Donald Trump who have been on the fence, they're going to come forward and step in and support him just as strongly as they all, as they have before. Well, I, I agree with you. I, I agree with you. I just think that, the, you know, I think people don't realize the, the, the power. And hey, one more uh, same line, though, one more, again, observation over the course arc of a couple decades of watching this. There's a lot of talk about third party candidates and, and the media is breathlessly covering that Joe Manchin might run as a independent or third party. It, it doesn't ever really work, um, but it could be a spoiler, I guess. What, what's your thoughts on that phenomenon? Really think the only third party candidate who might do some damage is possibly um, Kennedy. If he were to step outside the Democrat Party and run as a third party candidate, he, mm. he might uh, sway some Republicans who were upset with Donald Trump's response to the coronavirus. Yeah. He might sway some there his way. Yeah, I think so. I think that's exactly right. He's he is quite a phenomenon. Again, back to uh, uh, I guess the modern era. RFK Jr. to me came out of nowhere as a candidate. It's been extraordinary to yeah. see, hasn't it? Yeah, it, it really has. And you know, if Tulsi Gabbard got involved again with the Democrat Party or as a third party candidate, she might sway some votes her way as well. Yeah, yeah it is interesting. All right, Cheryl Chumley, time flies. Thank you. Her uh, Cheryl Chumley is over to the Washington Times. Uh, she is the uh, online opinion editor as well as a commentator and uh, hosts the Bold and Blunt podcast. Again, go to WashingtonTimes.com and you can sign up for an email update newsletter that comes from her. Uh, we'll give you all of those links to all those. Thanks, Cheryl. Appreciate it. Thank you, Ed. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I'll put up uh, links to her podcast on my social media. Be right back. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. 
Now here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. If solar panels really are the way of the future, as renewable energy proponents claim, then President Biden is doing his very best to ensure that the future belongs to China. Right now, a full 80% of solar panels used in America come directly from China and Chinese companies. Rather than investing in American companies, Biden is giving China even more opportunities to dominate this industry through a moratorium on solar panel import tariffs. These tariffs will be waived against Cambodia, Thailand, Vietnam, and Malaysia. But China controls much of the solar panel industry in these nations, so they fully intend to secretly evade American tariffs by moving their products through those nations. Biden claims that these tariff waivers for these Southeast Asian nations are a step forward for American energy independence. In reality, he's only making another sector of the market reliant on foreign imports. How can we be truly independent if the president and his administration don't believe American companies are up to the task of manufacturing our own solar panels? China uses unfair business practices to outprice American manufacturers. They employ slave and child labor while ignoring health and environmental safeguards that American manufacturers are bound by. It only makes sense that they should have to pay tariffs for not playing by the same rules as everyone else. That's why the supposedly conservative idea of free trade is anything but. Free trade is a one-way street where America plays by the rules and China cheats their way to the top with currency manipulation, patent theft, and unfair labor practices. Everyone is entitled to their own opinions about whether solar panels are the future of American energy production. However, we should all come to agreement that President Biden's radical, catastrophic climate outlook should not be the catalyst for American dependence on foreign imports. Tariff is not a dirty word. It's a tool that a strong American leader can use to look out for the needs of our own people. President Biden is clearly not willing to be strong enough to protect our interests. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. When it comes to international trade, other countries have long been taking advantage of the American people and our generous spirit. At phyllisschlafly.com, we've got strategies to balance trade and protect the interests of American companies, resources, and citizens. For more, go to phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome, 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 welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, wrapping things up, I told you I'd do a little mini book review. I'm hoping to have him on the show to interview him. I got lined up to do it. We'll see. But I got an advanced copy of the book I mentioned earlier, Tucker by Chadwick Moore. And it's it's really great. It's really interesting. Well, it's fascinating. It's uh, it's it's a good book. It's a good biography. It's a very good. I like it a lot. I love biographies, but it's absolutely fascinating. And the way that the author, Chadwick Moore, comes into the story um, comes to the story. He himself uh, was um, on Tucker's show and got some attention because he wrote a review of uh, Milos Yiannopoulos, the the sort of wild character Republican uh, gay man who then I think became a born again Christian and has been anyway. He's been a real character for about five or seven years. And Chadwick Moore wrote a, a commentary. Uh, excuse me, a, a um, uh, 
a uh, magazine piece, a lengthy piece on him, and was, I think, somewhat uh, fair and maybe generous about the guy. And and Milo, uh, I've only met him once. He's a he's an amazingly talented guy, but a, a bit mercurial, like a lot of talent. And I think anyway, Chad McMore got a lot of grief because he happened to be a left wing guy, happened to himself be a gay man, and he got a lot of grief for being uh, seemingly nice to chat uh, to uh, uh, Milo. Well, then he went on Tucker and he hit it off with Tucker and he was sort of uh, then uh, multiple ostracized, canceled early in the cancel culture because he was wrong on this. But he goes into this biography then and has this entree into Tucker's world as a participant. And then he's brought in as the biographer and trusted enough to interview Tucker and his wife and have more inside story. So it's really um, for a guy for a guy who is um, so important right now on the political and cultural scene, Tucker Carlson. It is very, very interesting to understand a little bit more about where he comes from. I have two observations about this that I think are important. Uh, Number one. He, one of his um, one of his heroes, Tucker Carlson's heroes that is recounted in this book is Hunter Thompson. Hunter Thompson was the the founder of gonzo journalism. He sort of was the founder of journalism where you're a part of the journalism and you're sort of in the middle as a character. And um, when Tucker was just a kid, he was 10 or 12 years old. He got a copy of one of Hunter Thompson's books and there I find them hard to read. They're kind of like self-referential sort of um, it's like reading. um I don't know. It's kind of like reading Kerouac, uh, Jack Kerouac on the road and all, but as journalism and, but Tucker loved it. And he said it just changed his life because he saw this writing and all, and he was just moved to it. And I would say that I would, if I get this interview with Chadwick Moore, I will ask him about Hunter Thompson's um, notion of a quote journalist or commentator or writer and how he fits into the story, not just describes it. He's not just outside. And I think Hunter, Hunter Thompson, was following in like the um, in the Hemingway uh, feel, but Hunter Thompson also the Gonzo part was he was sort of always over the top, and he was sort of not just a he was not just a participant in the story. And you see, Hemingway was kind of a participant in the fiction, and uh, Gonzo journalism is actually pretend well pretending it's calling itself journalism, but you're in a participant anyway. That's one question about this book Tucker uh, by. Um, by uh, Chadwick Moore. The other question, though, or not the other question, the other comment I have about it is to reinforce what I have said before about Tucker Carlson. I believe that Tucker Carlson, part of his singular strength at this moment is counterintuitively. He is good on TV. He is good on a soundbite. He is good at short and sweet. He is good with video. But fundamentally, he's a writer that he honed his craft And by the way, his book is called Tucker by Chadwick Moore. It's all seasons press uh, available anywhere you get books. Um, I can't see the actual launch date uh, to know. I know I got an embargoed copy, so it may be right around now. But but um, but Tucker is fundamentally a writer. And I know this because I know uh, the late Phyllis Schlafly and watching her as a writer, her whole life, she was a writer. It takes immense discipline. It takes immense practice. It takes a lot of practice. It takes incredible skill. Um, there's nothing that beats experience. And what Tucker has going for him is that sort of, you know, and, and Malcolm Gladwell and others popularized it, but he had just years and years and years of writing every day, of writing all the time. And he came upon the scene where he basically could write 
almost every day. He wasn't even a weekly or three times a week columnist for a newspaper. He was a three, four, five times a week columnist for uh, uh, online. And also importantly, and Phyllis Schlafly did this too, he became an editor. So the, if you're a really good writer, you can become an if you, certain kinds of writers, I think can become editors. And so Tucker also, I, it seems to me when I read his stuff, it doesn't spend a lot of time on that. He's a writer, 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 all the kinds of things where you see his uh, commentaries that are so, uh, so powerful and so clever and so succinct. He, that's all because he's a writer, but also in his different um, career paths and moments, maybe it's better to say he's an editor, but it made him a good interviewer. He was able to get out of people a certain rhythm of their story and their facts and their arguments that was very compelling. And again, he was, um, as maybe he was the publisher of the, of the, uh, daily caller. Um, but he was a founder, uh, with uh, Neil Patel and, and they had to recruit people and they had to put together this sort of pastiche, as they say, but it's sort of this patchwork of, of authors and commentators and different things. And, uh, so he's, it's a unique set of skills and he's young. He's like 53 or four years, 55, maybe. He's young. So his next step, uh, which is a media company that will be heavily, I think, um, uh, heavily, uh, based on Twitter, will be very interesting to see. And he's back with Neil Patel, his old uh, uh, college classmate and and running uh, buddy from the Daily Caller days. So uh, it's a good book, Chadwick Moore's book called Tucker. Check it out. And I'll have more, hopefully, interviewing him in the next week or two. And that's it. That's it for today. Thank you to Noah Dingley, our producer, Ryan Height, and Mason Mohan uh, for associate producing. And thank you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs>